0: DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and the author or co-author of over 50 books including the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Malachi and St. Kateri Tekakowitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you for joining us.
1: Uh, it's a privilege, as always, to be with you, Chris.
0: Today we're going to be talking about St. Ephraim. When was he declared a doctor of the Church?
1: Yeah, he was, uh, interestingly enough, he was, he was declared a doctor of the Church in 1920 by Pope Benedict XV. And that's significant because under Pope Benedict XV, there was a genuine effort Part of the church's wider, growing appreciation of the Eastern churches and the the first great efforts in the 20th century at ecumenical outreach to try to bring the Orthodox churches uh, back to communion, uh, but also to celebrate the rich spiritual and ecclesiastical legacy of the Eastern churches in general, especially the Eastern Catholic churches. So we see in uh, St. Ephraim, the Syrian, uh, not just a brilliant doctor of the Church, but uh, the only Syrian doctor of the Church, and also a a figure of intense gifts and humility and, and a fine representative of Eastern Christianity.
0: Once again, we have one of those who might be considered a father of the Church as well because of the time period in which he lived.
1: Well, we know, for example, that uh, uh, when he grew up in the the city of Nicebus, in what was then Syria and what is now modern Turkey, uh, we know that he lived from about 306 to 373. One of the influences on his life uh, was James, the bishop of Nicebus, who died around 338. And James, the the bishop there, uh, is counted among the participants of the Council of Nicaea. So, We're looking, as is often the case, and as uh, we're certainly going to be seeing over the episodes of the series on the Doctors of the Church, how saints and and profound figures in the Church influenced each other and were themselves influenced generation by generation uh, by the the great leaders in the history of the Church.
0: What makes this particular Person so exceptional, then, as far as a doctor of the church, given the fact that we really don't have a tremendous amount of writings by him?
1: Yeah, uh, well, this is uh, the value of uh, why the popes stress uh, and, in fact, uh, uh, are bound to explain to the church why someone is named a doctor of the church. And it's uh, wonderful that two. Pope Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict XV in 1920 and then Pope Benedict XVI uh, in 2007, both uh, taught very publicly about St. Ephraim. And in his encyclical uh, in 1920, uh, Pope Benedict XV sort of lays out his argument as to why uh, St. Ephraim should be included among the doctors of the church. And it's, it's a, a wonderful document. I would encourage everyone to, you can find it readily online, if you just type in, for example, Pope Benedict XV and Ephraim. What he's pointing out is that you have this multifaceted figure uh, who put all of his talents uh, to the service of the church as a teacher, as a preacher, as a demonstration of humility, but also as a hymnographer. Uh, He was so accomplished in uh, many of the different arts, but in particular hymn writing, Christian music, and poetry that he became known as the harp of the Holy Spirit. And for that alone, uh, he's honored as a doctor of the church because it is estimated that in his lifetime he wrote perhaps as many as three million lines of poetry as well as 400 hymns. And what did he write about in those hymns? He he tried to describe creation. He tried to uh, describe for his generation things like the Eucharist and and Mary. But he was also defending uh, the faith. He found that the Arian heretics, who were still a great plague in the church, uh, were using hymns to try to teach people. Of course, if you're teaching someone how to remember something, what's the easiest and best way to do it? It's through little memory tricks. And for him, the use of hymns was a way to counteract what the Arians were doing. So he began composing hymns that were orthodox, but also lovely, and could be sung. And in that sense, he established for the Church a tradition that continues today. The hymns that we sing at Mass, that... uh, we have heard throughout the history of the Church, begin, in a way, with St. Ephraim, uh, albeit in a language that no one today would recognize. But the the mode of transmitting theology, of transmitting love for Christ and, and his Church, the apostles and the place of Peter, all of that can be traced, in a way, back to Ephraim.
0: It wouldn't be a push, then, to say that it's important that the hymns, the songs, anything that occurs within the context of the liturgy is extraordinarily important and can convey the very heart of our faith.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, And how we pray is central to our lives as Christians. And that's one of the reasons why uh, so many of his hymns focused on the Eucharist, on, of course, the Holy Scripture, on Christ as the word incarnate, and he used liturgical hymns, he used his poetry for theology, but also for teaching, for catechetics, to make that essential connection between liturgy and the life of the Christian.
0: Would you say he might have been one of the first liturgical theologians?
1: Oh, I think that's uh, very much uh, the case. Uh, And and. He is also somebody who recognized that the liturgy, the liturgical life of the Christian had to be central to that life. Uh, and, And in that sense, too, he's a role model for us today that if we are going to love the church, if we are going to serve the church, we have to embrace, celebrate, but also understand deeply everything that's going on in the liturgy so that we're simply not passive participants but we are in fact engaged with liturgy uh, in exactly the way that uh, the Second Vatican Council called us to be. So We're seeing this, this wonderful timeliness of Ephraim and the way that he lived is the way that we should live and in that sense too he's, he's a powerful role model for us today.
0: I believe it was St. Benedict Sixteenth that said that we could really see the marriage of poetry and theology. Mm-hmm. And in particular, that bringing what we believe, the, the theology that we've come to understand, and making it part of our prayer, uniting the two, so it becomes a part of who we are. Would you say that is part of St. Ephraim's contribution?
1: Yeah, uh, in in his uh, reflection on Ephraim, uh, Pope Benedict uh, the Sixteenth stressed that his poetry, uh, much like his hymnography, uh, touches on almost every aspect of the life of the Christian. So he talks about Scripture, he talks about uh, the mystery of redemption brought by Christ, uh, that Word of God incarnate, as I as I was saying. But he also uh, has a, a very practical bent, and how what we do in daily life, everyday things, also need to be rooted in our prayer life, that we must make of those a prayer of gratitude, but also in how we live. Combined with his work as a a poet, as a theologian, uh, as a preacher, there was as well his practical life as a deacon, and, of course, a deacon serves. And he considered himself to be unworthy uh, to be ordained a priest and shrank from the idea of being ordained a priest. He wanted to remain a, a humble deacon. But in that sense, he exercised immense influence, uh, first in Nisibus, where he grew up and, and initially served, and then as Syria became a battleground between the Roman Empire and what was the, the, the Sassanid Persian Empire. Nicebus fell and, and was captured by the Persians and was then handed over to them as part of a negotiated peace settlement. And the inhabitants of Nicebus were then forced to find a new home. And he helped lead his people, uh, serving his people all the way, uh, to settle in the uh, nearby city of Edessa, Uh, in what was then Syria and is now modern Turkey. And I I mention all of this because he was a figure in Nisibis, but then also in Edessa, uh, who was known as a saint. He influenced people in how to live their lives, and he was a guide to them. It is said, for example, that in the midst of a famine, Uh, He left his place of refuge, he he stayed away from the city because he wanted to live his life in prayer and contemplation and and writing his hymns. And he came back to Edessa uh, to make certain that the the food that was on hand was distributed justly among all the people in the city. We know also that uh, he died around 373 tending plague victims in the city, contracted the disease himself while giving of himself and, and died there. So he lived what he wrote. He lived what he composed. His hymns were not abstractions. Uh, they were not simply intellectual exercises. He actually lived the faith.
0: We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
2: The Creed Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning
0: Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. There's something to be said too, isn't there, Matthew, about... The especially in the East, that connection between the spoken word and the sung word, that there really wasn't the type of division that we have in our vocal expression.
1: Yeah. Yes. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Anyone had the privilege, for example, especially if, if you belong to the Latin, right, uh, of attending the divine liturgy. You can see the immense power and beauty and even majesty of the way they continue to integrate uh, hymns, uh, the, the chant, and other things.
0: Matthew, can you talk to us about some of the standout teachings that St. Ephraim has been able to communicate to not only his community, but it has still relevance today?
1: Right. Right. Well, as, uh, uh, as is clear, this is somebody who is really multifaceted. He was a poet, a teacher. Uh, he was an apologist for the faith. He defended the faith. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, in, in his teachings on him, and this is, this is notable, he stresses, that, for example, that the, there are four areas of work uh, on the part of St. Ephraim. Uh, he said that he has written polemical works and biblical commentaries, In other words, uh, prose works. He has written and composed in poetry. We also know that uh, he wrote homilies. And then, of course, uh, as as Pope Benedict points out, his most abundant area uh, was in hymns. And in that sense, uh, he again took all of his gifts. He left nothing behind. And that's another one of the lessons for us today. That if God has given you certain gifts, you are obligated, you're called to put all of them uh, to the service of, of God and his church. So this is somebody who could give remarkable homilies, somebody who could write biblical commentaries, somebody who could compose poetry, and then, of course, somebody who understood music deeply enough that he was able to compose hymns that continue to resonate down the centuries. We know, for example, that um, some of his biblical imagery, some of his imagery for the Last Judgment, influenced countless other people, uh, other doctors of the Church and fathers of the Church. Jerome talked about him. Uh, We know that many of the other uh, Church Fathers of the East revered him. And uh, even Dante Alighieri, he was writing and composing the his, of course, Divine Comedy, utilized some of the imagery of, of Saint Ephraim uh, with regard to the Last Judgment. So here is somebody who locked away in a city in the middle of what was then Syria, a province of the Eastern Roman Empire, who, under normal circumstances, might have been forgotten, who died in humility. Uh, but whose work has really withstood the, the test of time. And that's one of the things that I think uh, Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Benedict XV uh, really wanted to touch on, and that you have theology, you have a reflection on faith, you have poetry, you have song and praise, that all of them work together. And, and as Pope Benedict XVI said, it is in the liturgical character of his work that the divine truth that he taught really emerges most strongly, and all of it aimed at explaining the divine, explaining the search for God, and illuminating our way to find him.
0: It It is said that he was the harp of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And when you really reflect on that legacy that has been able to be transmitted down all these generations— what can we learn from in today's liturgical setting, Matthew, for those who participate in either writing hymnody or those who need to uh, be able to help the community uh, lift up their voices in that shared hymnody? That it seems to be something that we've kind of struggled with over the last yeah. couple decades.
1: Yeah, I think that's really, a, it's a, that's a great question. What do we hear today about uh, a lot of hymns? The the first is that they're not especially well composed. uh, That we've also, at various times, those of us of a certain age have have suffered through calamitous hymns and songs during Mass and and liturgies.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. But one of the other things that we often hear complained about in terms of, of hymns is that they're not very rich theologically, that the lyrics, are uh, uninteresting or uninspired. In Ephraim, we have a model for two things. First, that the hymns that we compose, the hymns that we use to proclaim at, at, in the liturgy itself, need to be beautiful. There's much to be said for beauty in the life of the church, and especially in the life of, of the church's liturgy. The other is that the content of a hymn, the content of a song, must be rich, it, it must be theologically precise, uh, but it also must be worthy of its subject. And the subject, of course, is it is God, it is our Lord, it is the Eucharist, it is the Blessed Mother. What we compose has to be equal Uh, to what we believe and what we're proclaiming. And in that sense, then, uh, Ephraim really had that didactic quality, he had a catechetical quality, and he had a very deep theological quality in all of his hymns. And anyone who is picking hymns for a Mass shouldn't necessarily just look exclusively at the question of, does this sound nice? But actually, take the time to read the lyrics of the great hymns. I I think, for example, of the hymns that Thomas Aquinas uh, composed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Read the lyrics, because in there, just as we could in Ephraim's time, we can teach and learn so much about the faith, and we can deepen our faith and our love for the church.
0: There is a a difference, isn't there, between that praise song, which speaks to the hearts of so many. It makes there's such an ease in lifting up and saying thank you, ultimately, to the Father in heaven for his great mercy and the gift of his Son and the Holy Spirit. But there is something to be said also about those things that will take us deeper into an awareness of the depths of God. And yes. we don't have very many of those, really, as standouts these days.
1: No, and, and, and that's it precisely. Um, and, and we need to be. Because if we're looking at um, embracing and really deepening our love for the liturgy, which, of course, was one of the, the things that we were called to do uh, by the Second Vatican Council, we can't make things like liturgical music... Uh, hymns, a forgotten aspect of that. In fact, if we're going to have a beautiful liturgy, uh, we need to make certain that what we sing, the music, is again equal to the mystery uh, that we're celebrating. But I, I, I also want to stress again, uh, in Ephraim's time, as, as it is very much today, we live in an age in which we need to teach, we need to catechize. Everything that we do as, as Christians has to have a, a proclaim, a proclamation aspect to it. And that that's a feature, I think, of the new evangelization. And in a multicultural world like today, hymns both inside the liturgy, but also in consider just driving today. When you turn on your radio, how many people listen to Christian radio, for example? And it, it's very simple. It's your praise and worship songs. Mm-hmm. We have a chance, by cultivating beautiful music, beautiful hymns, we have a chance to teach, to catechize, to transform the the hearts and the souls of those who are listening to it. And that is very much in the best tradition of Ephraim, because that's exactly what he did. Not only was he facing Aryan heretics, he was also facing a, a Christian population that itself was still developing, still deepening. In his very early part of his life, when he was born around 306, the Christian church was still being persecuted. So whole segments of the population were largely uncatechized. And then there was the, the whole part of the population uh, that was still being brought into the Christian faith. So his hymns, his poetry, were gateways for men and women in Syria and now in generations beyond to have that first encounter with the faith, that first encounter with Christ, and the way they did it thing was to make use of all of their musical talents uh, and to discover in the beauty of that music Christ and his church.
0: well, then I would say we need be praying to Saint Ephraim to lift up those people, those who have that catechetical understanding but also that great gift of poetry and song, and to be able to bring that forward in this new evangelization.
1: Absolutely. And uh, to emulate St. Ephraim in that other aspect, he was a deacon. He wanted to serve. So he, he held nothing back uh, from, from God and nothing back from the church. He died as he lived, serving his people. He died caring for plague victims. Uh, He helped lead his people out of the disaster of their city falling, the city of Macebus, leading them to Edessa. So we put all of our gifts at the disposal of God, and then we go even further, and we give our life to the service of God and his people. And and when we do that, uh, we are really being worthy servants of God.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen.
1: It's a privilege to be with you, and I look forward to our next episode.
0: You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen.